Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to a special edition of the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. As always, I'm joined by Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison to look ahead to the start of this year's Ashes with the first test in Brisbane getting underway in just a few hours' time. Over the next hour, we'll hear from both captains as well as the England trio of Stuart Broad, Mark Wood and Joss Butler. We'll assess the Australian squad with their former all-rounder Brad Hogg and away from the Ashes, TalkSport's Darren Goff has been appointed as the new director of cricket at Yorkshire. We'll hear from him later in the show. Uh, so plenty to get stuck into. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, um, Harmy England have named the 12-man squad with uh, Jimmy Anderson and Johnny Bairstow missing out. I guess it's a straight choice between Jack Leach and Stuart Broad? Yeah, it looks like it's between Leach and Broad. Uh, I said... Right from the outset, I thought England would play a four-seamers, taking away Stuart, uh, Ben Stokes, because I, you know, I was talking about that squad before Stokes was picked. And I'll stick by it. I still think England are a better team with four-seamers rather than the spin bowler in Australian conditions. Um, it, there will be an element of turn because of the wickets being damp and they'll dry out very, very quickly if the sun comes out. But I still think our fourth seamer will do as good, if not a better job, than than Jack Leach would and to give us a little bit more depth in batting. So for me, Broad has to play. It's, it's a no-brainer against David Warner. Um, if he gets David Warner out early in the first first test in the first innings, or he gets him out early in the you know the early in the second innings, you know, that's a matchup that because we you know, the cricket cricket world is about matchups now. Uh, that's a matchup that we've seen have a negative effect on the Australian cricket team throughout the throughout the series as in the past, and uh, and and Broad is a must player for me. Okay, I think it's generally accepted that Jimmy Anderson is in Engl- England's uh, best eleven. This is what Josh Butler had to say about his not being included in the first Test squad. I think um, just with the, the build-up everyone's had, um, I think the guys just want to uh, make sure everyone's perfect to go. Um, no, Jimmy's not going to play, but he is fit. Um, it's obviously a very long series, um, and we want a guy like that to be available to play as much part as in it as uh, as possible. So I think it's just a bit precautionary. Um, we bowled well yesterday. Uh, bowled again today and um, she bowled a few spells in that, that couple of days we had as a warm-up game. So he is fit, um, but the guys are just being a bit precautious. So Jimmy Anderson um, being being saved for the uh, day-night test, um, I, I guess. I mean, that, it's not just a long series. It's five test matches. But do you remember, it wasn't so many years ago that we'd go, oh, there are two test matches back-to-back. There's, yeah. only, there's <laughs> only three days between those two. Well, they're, they're all back-to-back now. Yeah, they're all back-to-back. And... When I look at it, I think this is sensible. I think we got a little bit of a steer in the first warm. I know there's only 20, 29 overs in the first three days of that, uh, or the, the, the three-day game. 
but Jimmy wasn't named in that that side that that game. There was twenty four players named in that game. I might even been twenty six players named in that game, and Anderson wasn't named. So when I seen that there, I thought, well, Jimmy's not going to play in the first test because if there is a little niggle, then the preparation that we've had, the wet weather we've had, bowling indoor school. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when you look at what happened to him in South Africa in Pretoria, when we were over there for Talk Sport a few years ago, when they lost him in the first Test match, I don't think England can afford to lose him again. With what potentially could be two day night games in this series, so sensible for me. I just wonder though, Manners, when you look at it, when they got to the Gabba, seen the pitch, seen the weather forecast, <laughs> did they go? Oh, do we play Anderson? Do we play Anderson? Do we do we risk Jimmy in, on this? Because the surface that we've seen so far is it looks as though it's got a bit of green grass on. It looks as though it's going to be overhead. Is going to be a little bit of rain around for four or five days. Is there a better bowler? And in, in has there been a better bowler in the history when when something like that is in your favour? And we talk about the Kookaburra ball being a little bit harder, a little bit more durable, and a couple of coats of lacquer on, which is going to make it swing more. Silverwood and Root have got to be saying, "Oh no, do we go? Do we just risk him?" Um, but for me, common sense—I think common sense has prevailed. I think Wokes can do a job. I think Robinson will do a job. I think Robinson's a key bowler on this series. Um, and like I said before, Woods Pierce, along with Broad, going at Warner. I think this is a well-balanced attack. A lot was made about Australia being a bit cocky and naming their team uh, three days before the first test. But the truth is that, I mean, it picks itself. There was only one conundrum. We'll hear more on uh, this subject from Brad Hogg um, in just a moment when he joins us live. But it really was just a choice between Usman Khwaja and Travis Head. And this is what Pat Cummins had to say on that matter. Yeah, really excited. Travis, um, you know, he's been a big player for our team over the last few years. Um, he didn't play here last year, he missed out on the final game of the summer and he kind of got asked by the selectors to go away, work on his game. He's gone over to England, he's churned out runs for South Australia, so he's ready to go. Yeah, Travis Head has, has got the nod and a lot of lots of being med manners of the picking it three days early, but I actually don't think it's a bad thing because, like you said before, September when England picked their first their, their 16-man squad with no Ben Stokes in, I knew what Australia's team was going to be. This was Australia's team all all the way back then. And it wasn't a great deal of Shield cricket coming up. It was diff- It was literally who was going to bat at number five. And I think because they've done it two days and three days before, they've got the, well, they should have picked Kawaja. Oh, they should have picked Head and they should have picked Kawaja. All this stuff that comes with um, selection questions and dilemmas, they're all out the way now. You know, they've had that yesterday. They now know exactly what's going to happen the day before and then they're going into the test match. Kawaja's, you know, he's he's off in the in the distance, and Travis Head is going to be is going to be in that middle order for Australia. And I look at that selection, and it's it's not a bad selection. I don't think there's too much between Kawaja and Head. Head's a bit younger, so they might be thinking we can get a little bit more time out of him. But I just think that that middle order is that lower middle order is there for England to get at if they can knock Warner over early, and that's why Broad's got to play. Get Labashin and Smith in when the ball's moving around. Hopefully get past one of them. That would be the, the ideal game plan. And if they can expose that lower middle order, Head, Green, Carey, Cummins, all of a sudden I think England will be in a position that, that England will fancy that. I think they will. And it's all down to them sort of getting the ball in the right area right from the very start and making inroads. And for me, um, I think England have got the attack to do that. As far as England's batting is concerned, um, Johnny Bairstow was scheduled to bat at six ahead of Ollie Pope in the last Test match against India, which, of course, was postponed. So a lot of people thought that uh, he would start at six, but, in fact, Ollie Pope's been preferred to him. So that was a, a maybe a little bit of a misread. This is what Joe Root had to say about leaving a 12-man squad and announcing the 11 um, only at the toss. I'm not into mind games. I'm just not in a position right now to, to name my team. Fair play that they've, they've announced their 11. It doesn't really concern me uh, or, or change anything from our perspective. We'll go about our business how, how we want to and we'll, we'll let you know when, when we're ready. I don't think Joe really had an idea of... I think I don't think he was in a position... That he was, I, well, I believe him when he says I'm not in a position to name it because I still think up until last night they still weren't sure about best old Pope. I still think they weren't sure about whether we play... Anderson, whether we play Broad, whether we play Leach, I still think they were looking at the conditions overhead, what potentially could come, looking at the you know, the surface on whether it 
in a day has got any drier, so the green grass has come off. So I don't think England were in a position to to name their their starting eleven or name their sort of thirteen. Um, but as it as it happens, Pope has done something in Australia to take over from Besto because Besto was playing in, in against India in the fifth Test match. Um, I think we all knew that. And I think something's happened over in Australia. And I think us as you know, pundits, former players, that sometimes you just have to go with the selection. You have to back and trust that they've seen something behind closed doors that we haven't seen. Um, and they've made a, a judgment call on it. And sometimes it's a bowler that isn't bowling particularly well in the nets, probably needs another week of preparation, a bit like what Anderson. Maybe his Pope's hit the ball better than Besto in the in the in the little bit warm up game and in the nets going. So the fifty fifty call has gone down the side of, of Ollie Pope. And I don't have a problem with that. The only the only wish the my only wish is on Pope's situation, he bats five. He doesn't bat six. Ben Stokes at six and Ollie Pope at five. If he's in the team to bat Bat him at number five for me. As much as I was wanting Ben Stokes to bat at number three last week, that was to get sick my six best batsmen because I think Johnny Bairstow in the middle order is a better batter than David, uh, David Milan. But Milan's going to bat three. Pope's in for batting. Bat him at number five. And then obviously, you know, you've got Ben Stokes at six and Josh Butler at seven. Months ago, Chris Silverwood said that England's best chance with the ball was to frustrate Australia out. You know, um, extreme discipline, line and length, hit the top of off stump, don't give them anything, don't give them any runs, um, be patient. Uh, and that was that all sounded great. Um, you, you know, that's um, that's. But <laughs> I guess we all wanted Mark Wood to play, the, and and he is going to play um, almost certainly. This is what uh, he had to say about what is the pinnacle of a cricketer's career. I don't think it gets you know bigger than this for an English cricketer. You know to play away in Australia, it's a, a massive deal to try and win here. For you know, yeah, your sort of career is looked back on, especially Test career. Can you win in Australia? And um, those lads that won a few years ago, that they're, they're all you know legends back home because of what they did. So um, we've got a huge opportunity. It's against a very very good Australian side, but um, if we can put uh, you know our best foot forward and, and give it a right go, then you never know. So that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, you said, you know, they're going to, what Chris Silverwood said about bowling one side of the wicket. That was fine, but he, Ben Stokes wasn't in the squad then. Now Ben Stokes is in the squad. It just muddies the water when it comes to the bowling point of view. You know my thoughts on Mark. Um, the only bit of advice I did give him in the last two days is when you first sort of run up to bowl, try and hear, hit the strip you're actually aiming for because <laughs> somebody has actually done that. that you know, I've gone the opposite way than that, but no, I enjoy it. He's nervous. I actually think it's a must for him to play. The reason why I've never I've never known a bowler be not have as much not hit their straps from the very first ball than what Mark Wood does. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just because every time he comes back from an injury, he goes back in and he has very little bowling time, and he hits the ground running nine times out of ten. So that's why I think he was a must for this first Test match because you're not going to play him in Adelaide. I don't think under the lights. And then you give him, so you've got a, he has a week off there. You potentially bring him back for Melbourne. And then, you know, you see where the series is from there. But we seen him in St. Lucia. He hadn't, he hadn't, he had hardly bowled. He had just got, he got off a plane with us when we landed, me and Goffey landed um, in Barbados. Seven days bowled and he bowled a speed of light. I think he was a must to play in the first test match. And fingers crossed, he, he does balance this attack out. You know, Silverwood one side of the wicket with Wokes, Broad and, and, and Robinson. And when things aren't happening, you you chuck the ball to Mark Wood and he, he, he bowls quickly. He does, and we'll never forget that St. Lucia performance. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one ranked bowler in the world, Steve Harmison, as we continue to look ahead to the start of the 2021-22 Ashes series, which gets underway at the Gabba in Brisbane in just a few hours' time. And I'm delighted to say, as promised, we're joined live now by uh, former baggy green wearer and, in fact, current baggy green wearer, <laughs> Brad Hogg. He's got his baggy green on, which he earned uh, seven times, as well as hundreds of white ball games. Hoggy, um, thank you for your time. Um, excitement is building. Is everyone confident of another 5-0 win for Australia? Uh, look, everyone's confident like that over Australia, obviously, <laughs> but uh, just with what's happened over the last couple of weeks, we've had another bit of a scandal, which has rocked the boat, but the boys have settled down. Been speaking to Justin Langer about it, and uh, he's fine. He's fully confident. He's sorted uh, everything out there. We've got a new leader. We're moving in a new direction. 
And uh, hopefully we won't have any more scandals for another 20, 30 years. And Hoggy, it's nice to see that baggy green thing again that I used to try and earmark the majority of the time when I was bowling. Didn't always happen because uh, I, I do have that fateful memory of, of Brisbane and that first ball that went, went awry, which you mentioned to me a little bit earlier. But when it comes <laughs> to that first ball in Brisbane, the two captains walk out at the toss. How crucial is that going to be? Because Pat Cummins, first toss as an Australian captain, but there's a little bit of green tinge in the wicket. There is a bit of rain around. Um, could it be a simple win the toss, win the game in Brisbane? Uh, well, it could be, but um, if you, you're alluding to, uh, we're talking off air, but you're alluding to England. If they start, they're going to be quietly confident up there with the seam bowlers as well, because there'll be a lot of moisture in the wicket there. And we're using a slightly different kookaburra as well, where the seam stays harder for a lot longer. Uh, there's uh, two sheens on it, uh, two sheens of covering on it, lacquer. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, so it's going to last longer, swing longer, and uh, that's going to play into England's hands. Uh, a little better so for this series it's going to make it a lot tighter I, I'm not too worried about Brisbane I think we'll win up there uh, because we've got the, the the cattle there but when we go to Melbourne we've got two day night matches now I think scheduled uh, now that Perth has lost a test match and that brings Anderson into play uh, later on as well where he can really uh, shine his magic so just Adelaide and uh, two Melbourne tests I think there's a big chance for England to uh, go over the top of us if they play their cards right Cummins, the captain, is that a right call? Yep, definitely. Uh, clean skin, a lovely bloke, and everyone follows him. Uh, he works hard, and he's a bit like a Ricky Ponning in a, in a sense that he just goes out, does the business, and you see him working hard, you've got to follow. So I think it's the right call. And I don't think you can find any cobwebs in there where uh, there's any darkness there or, or things that are going to come out of the closet. So for me, I think it's the right call. Who will captain the team when he's bowling? Uh, he'll captain the team when he's bowling because he's got to set his field, Neil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be just a matter of um, Steve Smith just saying, look, Pat, you're the captain, especially early on in his captaincy, just going, mate, it's time for you to bowl. Uh, don't be too generous with the other bowlers and feel as though you don't have to take on the big moment. So well, I think that's where Steve Smith comes in. And also Steve Smith's very good at uh, in the slips region where he can really sort out opposition's technique and he fit, uh, picks it up very quickly where there's a slight change and he'll go up and uh, convey that with Pat Cummins and the other bowlers as well. So I, th I think it's good that Steve Smith's uh, vice-captain because it just quietens everything down that's happened over the last three years. And it, and it just allows us to go in a new direction. What did you make of Australia naming their team so early, a couple of days before? I mean, I, I know it was largely very obvious. I, 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 it was really only between Travis Head and Usman Khwaja for a place in the middle order, wasn't it? I mean, that speculation about Mitchell Stark not being named in this starting eleven was a bit fanciful, wasn't it? Yeah, look, you're looking at Jai Richardson there as well. He had a great shield game uh, just a couple of weeks ago up there in Brisbane where he swung the ball both ways. And the thing with Jai Richardson, he can bowl with extreme pace, but he's a bit like a Dale Stone. He's worked it out very early that when the ball's moving, I'll cut back on the pace a little bit and uh, just try and get the batsman out with skill. But when there's nothing in the air for me, uh, nothing in the pitch, well, that's when I've got to amp it up with pace. And that just gives you a bit of uh, longevity as a fast bowler. So you've got to use your smarts there. And uh, I, I think if there was an opportunity to play Jai Richardson and uh, get him into the fold of things, it would be up there in Brisbane. But you've got to have a left armour in your in your team. You've got to have that point of difference. And um, when, when you're looking at cricket these days, you've got so much cricket going on around the world. You're playing in different tournaments. We've just come off a T20 World Cup. And Mitchell Stark, for me, will be just working his way to make sure he's fully fit for this uh, for this Ashes series. So you've, you've got to work out what's happening behind the scenes as well to make sure that the players are, are ready on those big moments. So I think Mitchell Stark uh, will be getting to his peak around about well, here in Brisbane. But uh, wait, wait till that Boxing Day test match when the series is on the line. That's where we'll see the best of Mitchell Stark. While we're, on the subject. The team. <laughs> While we're on the subject of uh, bowlers, Mark Wood looks like a certain starter for England and um, I know that Harmy would be pleased about that. Let's hear what he had to say. They're a top, top side. It's, it's no good like, you know, just saying, oh, that they'll have this and that. But they'll be ready, believe you me. They're, they're a top team with good players. They all know each other well. Um, they've been together a long time. They've had lads in the World Cup who have been together off a, a high of a massive win there. So um, sharing a plane was good fun. 
<laughs> especially when they had their medals on. So um, hopefully we're, we're the ones with the medals at the end. And that's Mark Wood, who I think is going to play. I don't think there's any question on Wood and Wokes and Robinson. I think it's between Leach and Broad, who is the the, the, the one that misses out. And I think Broad's got to play, hasn't he, against David Warner? Oh, Definitely. He's got to play, yeah. Hey, didn't Wood have a go at the uh, baggy green at some stage as well in, uh, in one of the press conferences? I think he did. I think he did, just to stoke the, the fire a little bit. I don't know about you, yeah. Oggy, but I think, you know, we'll come on to the, the, the broad Warner bit in a second, but there hasn't been as much talked about. You know, whenever I played, it was like Glenn was saying, we're going to win 5-0, and more often than not, you did because these were very, <laughs> very good. I don't. I think because of the sides, I think these sides are a little bit closer you mentioned the four players play again with each other around the world. I don't think there's been as much in the media as what they used to be leading into an Ashes series. Well, you brought up a good point there because we're playing all these T20 tournaments around the world where you're in the same change rooms. And mm. uh, actually, I was quite surprised because a lot of us played a lot of county cricket over in England, but we still had that argy-bargy out in the middle. Yeah. Um, so it, Which was enjoyable. It was very enjoyable, but we probably didn't play as much cricket back then as well, whereas we're playing a lot of cricket now, and uh, because you're in the change rooms a lot more with the opposition team, uh, you still, you know, you're, you're, you've got a bit more respect on a certain level uh, when you're off field. Probably the wrong thing to say there, but, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying there. So they're probably a lot closer than what we were back then, and um, that sort of changes the dynamic as well. But there's a lot that's happened off the field with both teams. Uh, we've had uh, the stuff which has happened to Tim Payne, and then we've had the issues up there in Yorkshire. And I'm not having a crack at England or anything like that in that particular phase because uh, we all go through these issues and we're in a transition period right now. And uh, when these issues come up, we've got to make sure we stamp it out and move forward. Um, so, we, yeah, but going back to Wood, when he, uh, when he had a crack at that baggy green, he's got to understand that uh, Wood's not a very uh, popular uh, thing to have over in Australia with the uh, with the fires that we have during the summer, so <laughs> he's he's probably going to be the uh, the thing that sparks everything up. So Woody, I'm looking forward to seeing his pace because he's he looks like he's a very very uh, tough competitor, but I just want to see his endurance in the heat over here in Australia when it does uh, hotten uh, uh, up in the middle of the summer. On the subject of Mitchell Stark and and uh, Pat Cummins, um, I'm just wondering whether um, Cummins has been so busy with the media, he's given so many interviews. Um, I think he might be wondering about uh, about the requirements of the job. I mean, I, I knew he knew in theory what was required, but this is what he had to say about um, Mitchell Stark and and returning to form. Just incredible player, uh, bowler. I think strike rate under 15 Test cricket that doesn't come around too often. Um, so I think when you look at his record, what he brings to the team, he's right up there with you know, one of the best bowlers we've had for Australian cricket. So we back him fully. He's been bowling beautifully in the net, swinging the ball, bowling fast. Can't wait to see him out here. England, we don't think we'll play Jack Leach. We think they'll go all seam. Um, how do you think Nathan Ryan will go against England's left-handers? Uh, I think he'll go really well, especially up there in Brisbane, um, especially with a, a bit of moisture in the air, but there'll be a bit of moisture in the wicket as well. And, uh, yeah, when you see a bit of a green tinge over here in Australia uh, and a, a little bit of moisture when you put your finger in the stump uh, stump cam there, you're licking your lips as a spinner as well because you know that you're going to get a little bit of grip, but you get that extra bounce and you know that you're going to hit the bat high up uh, and that's where your bat pads uh, come into play and your leg slips as well. So, from, And uh, your first slip for the left-handers, as you just mentioned there. So I think Nathan Lyon's going to play a major part. Um, I think when you have a right-hander uh, in the crease and someone that's very good against spin, I think you've got to try and take him on and put the pressure back on him and uh, try and get him to lose his line and length. And then when the left-hander's on there, if he's slightly short, that's where you've got to punish him through the point region. So um, that's the way that I'd play. Uh, Nathan Lyon in Australia. And Hoggy, and, and not asking for a prediction, I'm looking for somebody that you feel that both sides individually are going to need to stand up, rather not so much like the captains, but a player on each side that if they play well, they're going to win the Ashes. 
Uh, I think Milan from England. Uh, I, I think he had a good series last time he came over here. He had a couple of 50s and he made a brilliant 100. I think that was at the MCG from memory. Um, so he's got to c- continue that, uh, that that performance. And he's the man for the job for me uh, to stand up for England. Uh, I also like Robinson. I think he's going to do the job. Just let him free, let him go out there and let him really get stuck into the Australian batsman because I think he's going to be one that can win it with you with the ball. Uh, for me, for Australia... Uh, I think the man that's really going to have to stand up is uh, probably Cameron Green in the middle order. He's had a taste of Test cricket. Uh, we're looking for that flint-off all-rounder, and I, th- I think uh, he's got to live with his bowling, but he's got to continue uh, what he's done with the bat. He's been fairly consistent there, but he's got to turn those uh, th- those starts into bigger scores uh, because that's where we've been lacking in the middle order. Brad Hogg, enjoy the ashes. Um, let's hope it doesn't rain too much in Brisbane. I know the forecast isn't great, but um, it hasn't dampened our enthusiasm for what we hope will be another memorable series. Enjoy it. Thanks, guys. That was Brad Hogg, and you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and double ashes winner Steve Harmison. Don't forget, our boss, John Norman, will be bringing you regular updates on TalkSport throughout the entire series. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and my co-host, as always, and one of the most qualified men on earth to talk about the Ashes, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast via the following on feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, let's uh, hear from Stuart Broad about what I was referring to earlier, um, about the the fact that uh, England's policy appeared to be, a couple of uh, months ago anyway, uh, to be patient, bowl one side of the wicket. And he says that it uh, it was a myth that you need fast bowlers to be successful in Australia. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a a media myth, actually, that talks about genuine pace being the key in Australia. I, I don't believe it is. I've been watching wickets. I got um, our analysts to put together all the right arm over and, and right arm round to left-handers, right arm over to right-handers wickets in the last six years. 
And it's, it's not genuine pace that's doing the damage all the time. It's relentless accuracy and it's movement. Um, guys like Philander, Kyle Abbott, uh, you know, McGrath's obviously the famous one who, who did it year after year at 82 mile an hour. So in my belief, it's about minimising bad balls. It's about applying pressure for long periods of time uh, and keeping the scoring rate down. And if you apply that pressure, you pick up wickets in in clusters and, and getting movement, which we've got a we've got a world class attack at moving the ball. So I feel really positive about a, a bowling group. And we all know that in Australia, runs are the key. You need to go and get 450, 500. You look at the 1986-87 Ashes Tour, big runs in our team, a lot of hundred scorers. 2010-11, a lot of hundred scorers. It's, it's what that's what we have to do, and we've got the players that can do it. Well, Homie, he's done obviously done his research, but um, bowlers with genuine pace haven't done too badly in Australia in recent years. Mitchell Johnson wasn't uh, didn't have the worst record. Yeah, they, they, they didn't. Um, and I think Stuart will have done the research. I can just see Stuart. I can picture Stuart sitting in his front room with his shorts on, his vest on, dog running around his feet, watching on the TV instead of watching Emmerdale Farm or Coronation Street or EastEnders, watching the wickets in Australia for the last <laughs> six years. I know Stuart that way, and he will be doing it because that's why it makes. That's why he's so good. You know, he's different to Anderson. He's more analytical than what than what Jimmy is on the opposition. Um, Stewart is a deep, deep thinker. He loves the game and he's obsessed by the game. That's what makes him good. And if he says that, I'll believe him because I know for a fact he will have done his research on that. But he's right, though. It's relentless. Uh, McGrath, I look at this bowling attack. The bowling attack I put against first up in 2002-03, you had McGrath bowling 80 mile an hour, who at times, when Brett Lee was bowling at the other end, was a joy to face because he was never going to nick me off because I wasn't good enough to hit it. Um, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't frighteningly quick. I felt as though I could, I could go forward and back on it. Where Gillespie was relentless as well, but Dizzy was quicker. Dizzy hit the similar lens to what McGrath, if not, you know, and moved it, moved it sort of in and out. But I had a, a better pierce, an 88, 80 mile an hour bowl, uh, nine mile an hour bowler. But then you had Brett at the other end, and it was a whole different ball game. And it was a whole different ball game. I'm going nowhere near that end if I can help it. And that was genuine pierce. But McGrath and Gillespie and Warren, you didn't go anywhere. You know, you're thinking, right, we'll wait for the bad ball. You've got seven, eight, nine bad balls in 90 overs off them three. So he's right when it comes to you have to be accurate. You have to be able to move the ball sideways if you can and be, you know, relentless with accuracy and discipline. And actually look at this bone attack and you go, you know, you know what? They've got that. They've got that. They've got a bit of piercing wood who will bowl extreme pace. Robinson, Robert, we've just done New Zealand, India. And I think Ollie Robinson's a bit like Kyle Jamison. He's not as tall as Kyle Jamison, but he's got that length, that natural length, which is a little bit fuller than what my length would be or Stewart's length would be. And I think he draws batsmen into coming forward when they don't really want to come forward to a tall bowler. And he's accurate. Robinson's accurate. As well as that, they've got Wokes, who, again, who is getting more experience. I know people say, oh, he's record overseas. And that was, that was for three years ago. That was two years ago. That was five years ago. This is now. This is the moment. And if Chris Wokes can get the ball to move laterally early doors, he has got a very, very good discipline area that he bowls. So when I look at that, they might just have a good attack for these Australian surfaces, which if the first one they're given in Brisbane has got a little bit of lateral movement, what through the air or off the, off the surface, then it might just bring England into the game. And if you get off to a good start in Brisbane, you know, well, that, that's the difference between for me winning and losing the Ashes. If you don't lose in Brisbane or you can manage to win in Brisbane like India did, then all of a sudden the pressure's then massively on Australia and you, give, you buy yourself some time in a series. We've got the extreme pace of Mark Wood and also the um, make it happen, make something happen quality of Ben Stokes. But um, Joe Root was uh, was quite quick to remind everybody that um, that Ben hasn't played a competitive game of cricket since July the 26th. And he's, uh, he's urging people just to give him a little bit, a little bit of time to settle back into test cricket. I think more than anything, it's, it's really good to just see Ben back involved in in the, in the frame of things and to, to see him come into the limited game time that we had and to look as good as he did as well. We always know that when he gets into that game, he'll, he'll want to put his mark on it and put his stamp on it. Um, and I think, yes, there'll be an element of managing expectations and you've got to trust you know, his experience and you know, I suppose 
our whole bowling group that you know collectively we can we can work work together to, to take those wickets i'm sure ben will have a, a big say in that there's something that was we'll definitely be making sure we get we try and get right throughout the whole series and in particular this first game and um, on the same subject, Ollie Pope was uh, was asked about how important Ben Stokes would be, um, and he too is kind of, you know, for a player who's not perhaps yet quite a senior player, he he was also uh, saying that um, you know let's not focus all of our attention on Ben Stokes. There's uh, a few other decent players in the squad. We've got a squad out here, and I'm sure each player will want to be that guy and put their hand up. Um, but he, he's obviously got this ability that not, not many players have, so he can easily turn a game around just like that. But I'm sure with the, with the squad that we've got out here, hopefully we don't have to rely on him too much to do that. Yeah, it's easy to say the squad that you've got out here, but there's only one Ben Stokes. And that, for me, when he announced that he was going back into the squad and he was coming to Australia... I can just see the fear. I can just see Justin Langer's face now, and a lot of the Australian cricketers because it doesn't matter what it's Andrew Flintoff, Ian Botham. These characters come once in once in a generation, and what he did at Headingley, I think that even though he hasn't played since the 26th of July, I've seen footage of him when he's out there. He's batting locks as though he's hitting the ball nicely. I would play four seamers because. I wouldn't put too much pressure on his bowling and drip feed him in as and when the series goes on. And I think it's time for Ollie Pope. There's, I look at this series now and this is you know, your moment. Besto would have been one. It's your moment. Butler, Wokes, this is your series. Root, are you going to go back over to Australia ever again? This is your chance to play and be the, you know, define your career by, by, by winning the Ashes away from home. And I think it's a it's a moment for Ollie Pope to start, to really stand up from being a, a good prospect into a te- proper Test match player, and that's why I'd put a little bit of pressure on him by batting him at number five. It's the top three again, Harmy. For me, I, yeah. I think one of them's got to stand up. Really, I mean, you, you just England cannot afford to be twenty for two. No, can't. Um, I, I totally agree. And I look at why I would have played Crawley over Hamid was put pressure on Pat Cummins not to go at Pat Cummins. But Mitchell Stark bowls a trajectory which I think you can score off. And I think if you can score off him and you can get at Mitchell Stark and put pressure on on Pat Cummins, the captain, then he might have to bowl more than he should do or might have to come on, come back for his second spell. Um, because here's a wood is a, a little bit he's a little bit quicker and a bit like what, what England have got. And then you have to use Lyon that little bit more. If you've got an opening batsman, that will go and put pressure on Mitchell Stark. Mitchell Stark will bowl wonderful balls, but he could go at six and seven and over. And I think that's what England have got to try and do. Be more on the front foot and proactive against Mitchell Stark. Risk a little bit and get at him because if they do get at him, then they've only got a four-man bowling attack because Cameron Green will not bowl that much. And I think that's why I would have punted for Crawley over over Hamid because you know Crawley does look to, to to hit the bad ball, but I think it's just going to be a fantastic series. Could still get his chance later on. Okay, it's that moment over the last month we've been uh, detailing and hearing your favourite Ashes moments, your five favourite Ashes moments over the last month. We've had um, we've had five to to two, and it's time for number one. Steve Harmison's favourite Ashes moments. It's got to be, it's got to be Oval. It's got to be Kevin Peterson, 100, 150 at the Oval. We're in a little bit of trouble at lunchtime, thinking that the Ashes are probably going back to Australia on a plane. And then 24 hours later, making a complete and utter mess of ourselves in you know, central London. Um, but that day, that day will, will be the best day that, anybody will ever have that's connected was connected to the England cricket team because the way KP played it was just frightening he's come in I think we were we were staring down a barrel five down at lunchtime and then all of a sudden his bat just got faster it was like he slug swept one in, in the ground for six and everybody in the everybody in the dressing room were like in an English mentality going just hit him straight just pat him back just hit him back <laughs> and it's like whoosh six again and I'm like what are you doing just hit him back just pat him back and it's like just block him you know we've got all day we just need a draw block him whoosh six and then Brett Lee 
Brett Lee came on and bowled a fiery spell of 93 to 95 mile an hour and KP kept hooking him into the stand and you were like thinking, just duck, Kevin, just duck, let it go over your shoulder. But the thing was, the more he was, the harder he was going and the mentality that Kevin had, the runs he was scoring, it was just, it was taking the game even further away from, from Australia. Jilo got a great 50. We went back onto the field and the, the celebration, you know, was there for everybody to see. So for me, my number one moment, I was going to have it at Brisbane been because it was yeah that is what I'd be famous a lot famous for but nah I think the 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 realization that 20 years of of English cricket getting battered by Australia and we've managed to beat the greatest team for me the greatest team of all time that was that was the day that was the best day of your your cricketing career the looks on all of your faces sitting on the balcony watching KP, you didn't know whether to <laughs> laugh or cry, did you? You didn't know whether to celebrate or... It was like, oh, just, that was great, but don't do it again. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, but he was... I said it, I said it at the time, but that non-English mentality is what made Kevin so good because in English mentality, we had a lot of negativity, a lot of playing safe, but Kevin didn't have that. He played the ball, he didn't play the man. And like I said a few a few weeks ago, when the Lords won, he hit he hit McGraw over his head, and I was at the non-striker's end, and he shouts "run," it was basically to try and get him back on strike. And as the ball hit his bat, I've just gone. Well, I can't say what I said. I was like, and I swore. I was like, Jesus! And he was like trying to get back on strike, and the balls landed in the middle of the members' pavilion. And I think the members of Lords were like MCC members were like, that's not England. You play in the V. You hit the ball along the ground. You don't hit. But it was a realization of hitting McGraw over his head for six. That there, we knew what what a character we've got. Okay, finally, in the in the last uh, few seconds of this section, um, we need to be realistic about the fact that uh, Australia have won nine out of the last ten Ashes Test matches at home. So, what are England's chances? And what's your prediction? Just quickly, <laughs> I think I think it's going to be a three-two either way. Looking at the the teams and the way they the way they are, I think I've got a funny feeling England's going to get the rub of the green and win a few tosses. And if they do. I think they could win 3-2 and I think England could win in Brisbane if they win the toss. A reminder that the Ashes gets underway at the Gabba in Brisbane in just a few hours' time and John Norman will be providing updates of the entire five-match series on TalkSport. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Shortly, we'll hear from the new director of cricket at Yorkshire, Darren Goff. But it's time now for the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket... And David Smith. Breaking boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. David, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, what's, uh, what plans have you got for Christmas? So, so yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a quieter period, really. Watching lots of lots of the Ashes on TV, I think, is going to be uh, our plan for Christmas. Obviously, it's been an excellent year with lots of you know children taking part in, in cricket across all areas of, of our business. But um, but Christmas is a time just to recharge the batteries, if you like, and then go again really hard, you know, in the new year with everyone looking forward to sort of pre-season training and, and the cricket season finally becomes on the horizon then. And I think obviously the, the excitement of the Ashes should obviously continue the, the boom of numbers that we've seen over the summer as well. And looking forward, you know, to the, to the new year, David, are you worried that any of the, obviously there's a little bit of a doom and gloom with some of the restrictions that might be coming back. Do you, will that hamper some of the preparation for, you know, the, the indoor school, the camps for the, the kids coming back after, after the Christmas period? It has the potential to, yeah. I mean, I suppose we've all learned to be very flexible over the last two years with with our business and, and how we operate. And, and we, we we can try and move sessions outdoors to, to sort of counteract any, um, any issues with indoor halls if we needed to. Lots of our uh, clients are very respectful and, and understanding of the situation. I mean, as it stands currently, we've had no venues that have cancelled. Now, you know, depending on how the situation develops over the next few weeks, that, that may change. But you know, we're, we're sort of following the rules, wearing masks and, and but no venues are cancelling on us, which is really positive signs so far. Um, but yeah, look, we're, we're just looking forward to a really exciting 2022 and, and obviously building on all of our successes from, from this current season. And you mentioned 2022. Me and Manners have just been talking about the 2005 Ashes and what KP did in the 2005 Ashes, which has completely transformed the way the game was played in this country. In your experience over the course of the last 10 years, 
what have you had to adapt and change year upon year upon year to teach these kids? And what is new? What's the new incoming thing that these kids are going to learn in the next, what, six months getting or four months getting towards the season starting? Yeah, I, you know, I'm sure that lots of listeners are, are remembering the days of, you know, back in the old indoor schools where if you look to even play a, a sweep shot, you'd probably get hauled out the net by yeah. the coach at the time. <laughs> You know, nowadays you are just looking to encourage as much creativity and variety in play as possible and, and try and develop skills as, you know, whether that's players that go in and try and play a ramp shot or come down the wicket and hit the ball for six. You know, you, you're not taking anything off the table now, whereas 10, 15 years ago, that was very much the case. It was you must have this technique and you must have, you know, you must follow that that sort of coaching manual, if you like. But but now everybody's got their own their own way of playing. And there's, like I say, there's nothing off the table, and it's it's just great to watch, you know, kids find their own their own ability, their own techniques, and and obviously lots of those are very different now because there's so many opportunities around the world to play different formats of cricket, whether that's T10, franchise 2020 cricket, or one day cricket, 50 overs, or or Test match cricket. So you know, everything's um, it's an exciting part of uh, you know certainly the game is an exciting place. I think, David, apart from all the hardworking full-time coaches that uh, that you have. Do you have you or do you have plans to bring in the occasional guest coach and you know, provide provide the kids with a bit of inspiration? Absolutely, we we've done that for the last ten years, man. As we've we've worked with so many great uh, names in the game, we've we've held masterclasses with some some legends, including Ian Bell, Sakle Mushtaq, Matthew Hoggard, Simon Jones, uh, Grant Flower. I mean, we we just have a, a huge list of names and. We have an excellent relationship with the Warwickshire and Worcestershire players. So on a, on a weekly basis, we get lots of the Warwickshire and Worcestershire players to actually come and coach the kids on, you know, one-to-ones, group basises, come and help us out with a, uh, our academy sessions. So we've always been very lucky that we've been able to tap into the the amazing resources of the, the sort of professional players. So, yeah, we've always been lucky with that. David, thank you so much. Just remind us again um, how people can get in touch and find out more in- info. Yes, yeah, sure. So it's instituteofcricket.com. We've got lots of camps coming up during the February half term, which is obviously going to be the next camp that will come onto the radar. And, uh, and yeah, look, looking forward to a really exciting Ashes series and obviously the 2022 season. Many thanks indeed to David Smith. That was Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Right now, as promised, um, we're going to talk about Darren Goff's appointment as uh, Director of Cricket at Yorkshire. Or, in fact, he's Managing Director. He's Managing Director. I suppose that encompasses... uh, Director of Cricket. Uh, it's just, it just sounds it sounds even bigger than uh, Director of Cricket. Let's hear from the man himself. He was talking to Andy Goldstein and Ray Parler on Talksport Drive. What a roller coaster of a weekend and day. Um, my feet have not touched the floor. If I'm if I'm going to be honest, it's it's remarkable. It, it really, really is. From doing breakfast last Thursday when I last worked on Talksport to two lunches, one with Ali and Laura on Friday, to a weekend of non-stop chatting and a new job. Um, what a roller coaster. Well, listen, let, let's try and work backwards <laughs> and, and find out exactly what happened in what order. So when did you first get a call asking if you'd be interested? Well, what many people don't know is, but obviously when all this was going through um, many months ago and there was a lot of people... Uh, going away from the club, the chairman uh, left. Uh, the, the, the original conversation was um, in a phone call was, would I think about coming onto the board at Yorkshire County Cricket Club? And at the time uh, was my thought. I'm on the board of the PCA, which I've really enjoyed. I only came onto that this summer. Um, so I was just getting used to that uh, position. Um, and I just said, listen, I don't think it's the right time um, for me uh, to get involved. There's a lot of things that have got to change at the club. Um, there's a lot of decisions that have got to be made and, and there's no way I want to be involved coming in to the cricket club and having to, you know what I mean, be the archit man, be the one who has to get rid of certain people. I said that this, this has been nothing to do with me throughout the years and I said, I'm sorry, I said, well, probably chat to me after Christmas when you've made the decision which way the club's going to go and how it's going to be run. And then suddenly it changed from that to um, uh, Friday night when I got a message and I thought, oh, I better not answer my phone Friday night. I've been at a lunch all day. So I, I didn't start talking to, to them till Saturday. And uh, like I say, it's been nonstop 
talking over the weekend. Obviously, uh, after playing for for Yorkshire for many years, Goffey, it must be a dream come true just to just to be involved again. And look, there's a lot of hard work to do, but I'm sure you're the right man to get to get uh, Yorkshire back to where they should be. Yeah, Ray, you know something? It's been a massive part of my life. Um, came through desperate to be a footballer, didn't want quite good enough. Became a cricketer. I had two spells there. I left for my own reasons on the first time. I wasn't happy with the few things that were going on at the higher level um, and the way I felt I was being treated at that time. Uh, I left, went to Essex, had three fantastic years there. I came back for two years to finish my career, which was a dream, and uh, be, be captain. Um, and then I'll be honest with you, it's been from a distance, um, watching from afar because I've been working, I had such a wonderful job at TalkSport for, for many, many years, 13 years I think it is now, um, and doing the commentary and, and doing little bits here and there, but never, never has the right role come up for me to get back into coaching or, or managing a, a group of players. I know we have a joke about it here and there, I said I wanted the Barnsley job. Uh, but um, this is not talk sport now. This is this is real life. And mm. I, I, when he first got asked me this, I thought, "Wow!" I mean, that because it came such out of the blue. I was like, "Wow!" Whoa, I'm not so sure. Um, but listen, I had to make a decision pretty quickly. They wanted someone because everything that's happened, the club is basically after what happened on Friday. Um, which took me by surprise. I, I will be honest, with you where the the club. Uh, made a call of getting rid of 16 people, uh, which was like so unbelievable because I'm friends with um, a, a few of the guys who have been on that. You know, I played with the, uh, some of them uh, many, many years ago at cricket. So um, that was very hard to take, um, but that was their decision. Um, I had nothing to do with that decision, and and now I can move forward in in, in, in building it. But on a human level, I mean, on Friday, because I'd like to say I'm friends with a couple of them, it was such an hard thing to take that. Um, um, and and I'm, they're going to be so upset. I mean, I'm upset for them. Mm. And uh, uh, but obviously, you, I think it's quite obvious the reasons uh, for the club's decision. Um, I've not had a chance to sit down with the club yet. I've not been up there. Um, I've been told in a phone call, but they're very complex. Um, but the club have tried to make me understand why they felt it was necessary to do it. Um, and when I chat to them later this week, um, they will probably give me an answer on it. I'm just trying to think about what you just said. Does that mean TalkSport was a 13-year stepping stone for you? Well, it was, and it went rosy until <laughs> until Goldstein came on to drive, and then it was like, get yeah. me out of here. I'm he, a celebrity. He ruins it for everyone, <laughs> that Goldstein. Hey, listen, let, let me ask you, Goffey, because we know, of course, Lord Patel's recently been made the new chairman of the club. How, yeah. how closely are you going to be working with him, and have you spoken to him? Have you had any conversations with him recently? Um, well, the weekend. Um, well, six weeks or four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I had the first conversation about the board stuff, which, as I said, um, I'll re-chat to them in the new year. Then over the weekend, I've been chatting with them and a couple of other board members that's left, and that's when they offered me the job. I will get the chance to, to speak to Lord Patel um, in person um, on Wednesday. Um, so I will chat to him and, and hopefully find out the direction the club want to go in and give them my thoughts where I'd like the club and which direction I want it to go in. So um, we'll go from there. Um, and it will be, it will be, I mean, engines will be on, on, on full on Wednesday because we've got to try and uh, get a coaching, um, uh, get some coaching uh, coaches in place for the start of the season. I know that's not until three months away, but you have to go through a process. You can't just appoint. You have to go through the governance we have to um, we have to go through the right interview process. And, can, Goffey, and can I, can that's I ask going to be done then? over the next three weeks. Can I ask you then, because you, you just touched on it, that 16 members of the coaching, I think, and medical staff recently have been dismissed from the club. Yeah. And you just talked about the fact you're going to have to get more on board. Do you have any people in mind you're going to call some favours in? Are you going to get involved with the coaching? Um, well, I think I might have to, to start with. Um, that wasn't the idea, but... Um, as I said, the the role is slightly different because it's not director of cricket, it's managing director, isn't it? That's the, the way it's been worded. So mainly I'll be in charge of cricket for uh, the men's and the women's game and the Yorkshire Diamonds as well. Um, and also the pathway, um, I think, is the most, <laughs> I can't say most important, but I think that's part of the problem we've had over the years. Pathway is a big, big stepping stone and, and that's where a lot of work will be done. Certain decisions have to be made quicker than others because, as I said, this is a professional 
Um, this is a professional cricket team that play in the county championship. The season starts. You've got a pre-season tour to arrange if we can get one. And I think more importantly, the most important jobs to start with are going to be the head coach and then whatever order you want to do it, whether it's you have a bowling and batting coach or whether you have two assistant coaches or you have one assistant coach. So we have to um, go through the right process of interviewing, uh, interviewing uh, people. And that's so I would say by Wednesday, my first day, the first thing I do is go to draft a letter, um, put it out, job application, see what jobs I've got available to to give out and, and go from there. As I said, I've not had really chance, guys, to have any thought whatsoever other than Sunday night and this morning, really, that's the only chance I've had to kind of put some of the plan in place, emergency plan in place, because like I said, the season's just around the corner. Goff, is it is it as complicated as football? I mean, trying to get coaches in, and we all know managers leave, and and it's probably very very similar. Would you be looking at? How does it work? Is it transfer? How does it work with? Um, say say you want to coach from another team, can you do that? Yeah. Are you allowed to do that? Oh well, I'll have to ask that myself. <laughs> I, um, I, I know in the I know on social media and in um, some papers they've already said, but uh, the favourite for the job is someone else's at another club. Oh, now right. that that said person is a terrific coach um absolutely um but there'll be we have to go through the right process there's going to be an interview panel there'll be people interviewed and there is some magnificent coaches out there who are not in work at this moment in time some are but some will fancy this challenge for whoever takes it it's going to be a difficult challenge there's going to be a lot of changes i think that's why I've took the job. Listen, this is this is such a big uh, rebuilding yeah. uh, job, isn't it? I mean, I think the club have come out um, and and admitted, but and you've heard me on Talksport say it, the allegations were of everything that went on uh, with Azim Rafiq and and club uh, members were handled badly, and I think that was the biggest thing. It was handled badly. And the club have recognised it, and I think that is so important. Well, Yorkshire um, has been a fantastic club for me. It, it really, really has. And it's obviously got stuck in a world of professional sport where I think it's all coming to light now, especially in cricket. But we've got to make sure But education. John Barnes, I've interviewed him many times. I've spoke to him many times personally as well. And you only have to um, read his book, which is absolutely unbelievable, and education is the way forward. He's always, always uh, big on that when you speak to him about some of the issues. We have to face these issues, you know, Andy, head on. Mm. We have to make um, positive actions. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that people are going to be looking at. Because we're going to be watched by the sporting world, not just in this country, but around the world. We have to make a difference. I think that's going to be um, uh, obvious. We have to take everyone uh, at Yorkshire no, no matter where they are from, on a journey, engage them, listen to them. And I know this is such a big job because of that. I really, really do. But we we do need to rebuild. I think that's quite obvious. We need to rebuild a culture um, and, and make Yorkshire County cr- Cricket Club a better, in, more inclusive place, Andy. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. I think it's, it's, quite, it's quite obvious that that's what I see as the vision uh, for the club mm. at this moment in time. Uh, one of uh, one of the big problems you've got, of course, amid the uh, Azim Rafiq's um, racism scandal, is the fact that Yorkshire lost lots and lots of sponsors. How are you going to approach that issue, Goffey? Mm-hmm. Well, I think as interim managing director, I think that will be one of my roles um, to meet people. Um, I've just talked about the vision for the club, um, include including people in our discussions, making a difference uh, in the pathway and getting people... Um, being able to access coaching free. I've done a similar thing for the charity I've done, um, Stanley Matthews Charity, um, and we help with a pathway and underprivileged children getting into cricket um, within Yorkshire. So it's a very similar thing, and we talk about um, the the lack of um, South Asians, Asians uh, coming through within Yorkshire um, from the pathway to make it into a professional game. I think that is where we've got to start. That is want to be, as I've said to you, is such an important role for someone to take on and make sure we get it right and take us in a different direction to where we, we've been at. And I think every, I, I honestly do believe, but there'll be counties out there 
in 10 years that follow what Yorkshire have done. That's what I'm hoping for. And, and I hope I can make a difference. It's not going to be easy. I might make mistakes. Um, but you've got to learn from your mistakes. And communication is going to be the biggest, biggest thing. And I'm normally good at that. I think I've got better of, I've got better in it as I've got older. But one thing I have got, which I probably didn't have when I was growing up and as a cricketer, was a empathy. I think from being out of the game and being out of a dressing room environment for 14 years and being in a real job, well, you can call it a real job at TalkSport, <laughs> I think that has helped me um, in my education and moving on to the next mm. level. Have you, um, have you spoken to Azeem since you've taken over, Coffee? No, not since I've taken over, not at all. I've not had a chance to speak to anyone. I'm, I'm sure um, he'll want to chat to me um, at, at some point, and I'll, I will chat to him. As I've said to you in the past when I've been on radio, I try not to talk too much to him about what was going on. I rang him purely as a friend originally and someone I care about because I gave him his debut many years ago, which I've talked about on air. And I think it's about... It was more, from my point of view, is the mental health and what it was doing to him as an individual. And it's the same for a lot of other people that have been involved in this. And the person I am, I will make sure they're okay. Everybody that's been involved in these situations, I've already spoke to a couple of the guys who sadly mm. who sadly lost their jobs on Friday because that wasn't an easy situation uh, for, any, for anybody. Okay, well, listen, uh, I've loved every minute with you, Goffey. It's a shame it's such a, a short run, but... Um... It's been great. And everyone in the office, we were talking about this earlier, I'm not blowing smoke up your backside, but everyone wishes you all the best. They know you're going to do a sterling job at Yorkshire and they're, they're delighted for you. It's a big part of your life when you're at Yorkshire. It was, what, over 15 years, was it? Over, you know, a couple of times yep, you were two there. Pers- two yeah, spells. Two spells. So. A big part, and it was just something I couldn't turn down, mate. No, we get um, that. And I turned mm. down plenty of other jobs uh, because of TalkSport, because I love, I've loved my job. But this one just means a little bit more, you know what I mean? It just means a little bit more. It's Yorkshire, and I think everything they've been through the members, how they've been feeling and how they've reacted to the whole situation. The players have been distraught. You can imagine that. They're, they're confused. They don't know what's going on. And they just want to see, um, you know what I mean, some, they want to see some continuity. They want to mm. see um, a director of cricket or managing director. They want to see a head coach. And they want to move forward because they're, they're, they're going to be upset, aren't they? They were upset. Yeah. They, they knew these coaches for a long time. So we've Goffey, got just, to just quickly, make them feel comfortable. Because I'm going to get in trouble asking you because we're over. But I'm going to ask you anyway. My understanding is, I said at the top of the show, you're the interim managing director. And you're yeah. there till the end of season in 2022, which is sort of September, August time, depending on when that season is. What are your plans long term? Where do you expect to be after that? Well, I, I, like I said, because this is an emergency situation, um, um, we have, you have to go through the right governance, don't you? So I had to be interviewed. I spent three hours on the phones with three of the board members. And by and I'll be assessed after the 12 months, okay. um, end of September. I'll have to probably, um, and if it goes well, I'll probably be offered a new contract. If it doesn't, I don't know, I'll have to find a new job. And that was Darren Goff, formerly of Talk Sport. He's got the biggest job in English cricket, I was going to say, Steve Harmison, but um, I think I might change that to uh, the biggest job in world cricket at the moment. He's certainly got the biggest spotlight on him. Yeah, the biggest job in the world, never mind the biggest job in uh, in world cricket. That I don't think there could have been anybody else that can possibly rebuild Yorkshire, and I'm not saying that because he's one of my best mates and he was my hero. I look through that Yorkshire history, I look through characters that could possibly have come in I think it had to have when people said oh you had to it had to be somebody from outside to come and take over I didn't anywhere else in the country possibly yes but not Yorkshire Yorkshire of their own their own way and I think they needed a, uh, somebody connected that had connection with Yorkshire in the past to come in and try and steady the ship I think they had to get a hold of the dressing room first and foremost he's got to get a coaching team so I don't I don't envy Darren on that front but there are people good people out there who I think would be willing to help Darren you know I'm not not for one minute would I like to go in a coaching role but I did when I texted Darren last night and said look I'm I'll be I'm I'm sure you've got this from everybody anything we can do we we'll help you have advice and be on the phone if you if you need anything because one thing about Darren Goff he's infectious his character is is a second to none he's honest 
he is he is what Yorkshire values are when he talks about his integrity, his, his honesty, he's straight talking, he's working hard. You know, nobody works harder than what Goffey did, uh, especially if there was a pound note in it. Uh, sorry, Darren. Um, and I think that's what Yorkshire are going to need. And I think there will be some some good people out there. They're talking about Anthony McGrath coming back, if they can get him back from, from Essex. That would be great. You look at something like Asmar Shazad, who has done brilliantly with the MCC. I think he's working with Derby, and I apologise to Derby fans. But he's played for Yorkshire. He's been around Yorkshire. He knows Yorkshire. Otis Gibson lives in Durham. You know, I've been an international coach, not far down the road. Yeah, I, I look at, I look at, names like that um, and there are plenty of other people you know I've seen Ryan Sidebottom on the TV yesterday talking about it he lives in Yarm he's not far up up the road so there are people who have been from Yorkshire who have been away from Yorkshire who could come back in and try and help rebuild the stature of Yorkshire Cricket Club because the one thing that is so important is they get on their feet very quickly because if they don't, then it will have an effect on the English, the England cricket team. Because some of the best players have come out of Yorkshire. But I'm still intrigued to see what the ECB are going to do sanction-wise against Yorkshire. I think he is going to have to take that hit as well and then try and build Yorkshire. But I don't think there's a better man. And I actually don't think there was anybody else who could possibly take this job on and bring everybody together than what Darren Goff will do. Many thanks, Harmy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at the first test and discuss the other big stories of the week. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.